Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hot Shot Wake Up. This is your weekly wildfire update. Hope everybody's doing okay out there. Thanks for tuning in. We are about 12 hours from a government shutdown at this point in time. There are some fire crews and fire resources that have already shut down or are shutting down in anticipation for the looming and impending government shutdown, mostly just to get ahead of that curve when it comes to the logistics and all sorts of other issues that could come up if you still have a hotshot crew or other crews on when this takes place. But there are other resources that are grinding through. There are wildfires that are still wrapping up around the United States with a significant amount of resources on them. The Anvil Fire still has over 1,200 people on it at this point in time. And we're looking at a half a day before the government shuts down. It's still possible for Congress to figure this out. And I've been trying to follow it, you know, the best that I can. I haven't really dedicated all day and all night to this. But basically what it's looking like is the Senate passed a resolution and the House didn't have enough votes to pass that. Then the House passed a resolution, but the Senate said, no way, we're going to support that. And they're kind of on the negotiating table now saying, we will vote for a continuation of funding to move the process forward as long as the Senate commits to not give funding for Ukraine. And it looks like the Senate is like, no, we're not going to do that. And that's where we are, and that's probably why everything's going to get shut down. Unless at some point in time in the next couple hours... They come to some sort of agreement and find the votes to push something forward. As we've been talking about a lot on the Substack, the fiscal cliff for wildland firefighters was coming today, September 30th. The agencies have moved some funds around to continue the retention pay that was passed in the infrastructure bill to continue into November. And the agencies have also said, hey, if you don't get furloughed and we still ask you to come in, we have wages for the first couple weeks of October. And then we're going to start running into some problems after that. So we'll see what comes of that. The NFFE put out a press release the other day saying that they spoke to the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, about all of this and what is going to happen moving forward with the shutdown. And it's a promising message, but I still haven't seen the legislation pass yet, so we'll just have to see. But they put out a report saying, Dear brothers and sisters, union members, as we approach the deadline for the government shutdown, I would like to provide you with an update on where things stand as of this afternoon. And this was put out just a couple days ago. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has indicated that he and the House Republicans will not take a vote on the Senate continuing resolution, which is what we just talked about. If this happens to be true, which it was, McCarthy refuses to consider the continuing resolution. It is all but certain that the government will shut down at midnight on Saturday. NFFE President Irwin met with Speaker McCarthy's office yesterday. They reported that Speaker McCarthy had no intention of allowing wildland firefighter pay cliff to happen. That's a huge point right there. NFFE is continuing to have discussions with the House and Senate leadership to ensure the pay cliff is addressed by Congress before we enter a shutdown. So at some point in time this afternoon or tonight, um, that's the time they have left to ensure that that doesn't happen. Once again, if it does shut down, 
the agencies have moved some funds around and and have the ability to keep payments coming for at least a month when it comes to the retention. If the government shuts down, the actual wages fall short of that. But for the first couple weeks of October, at least the Department of the Interior is saying they have the funds to pay their people for the first couple weeks. Continuing, it says the NFFE National President Randy Irwin and the leadership had a meeting with Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer as well today. Discussions were focused on the potential shutdown and the need to avert the wildland firefighter pay cliff. They say that they will provide updates as they come, but as of right now, not a whole lot of that has developed. Senator Michael Bennett from Colorado put out a video of him making a statement on the floor of Congress in support of wildland firefighters. Uh, it's a great statement. It's it's about 15-plus minutes long. I won't play the whole thing, but I will play a little excerpt from it. Basically, Senator Michael Bennett was making the plea for wildland firefighters and saying, hey, we shouldn't let a shutdown affect their wages, and we all know that retention and recruitment's an issue, and this is something that we should vote on before the government shuts down. But they finally had a sense that maybe the nation was recognizing their work and that they could at least provide for their families. On Friday, I met with a group of wildland firefighters in Grand Junction, Colorado, who shared their stories with me. I would encourage every member of this body to do the same. They describe being so disconnected from their families and friends during fire season that they feared they would lose them. They feared slipping into deep depressions because of the grueling nature of the work and the months spent away from home. They talked about riding a bike back and forth to work because they couldn't afford to maintain a car. Feelings of having your passion for your job Remember, these are people who, in theory, are, you know, inspired by the sunset. Having your passion for your job exploited by the federal government, who knows you'll show up because you love the job, even without the pay you deserve, year after year, fire after fire after fire. Grappling with the trauma of seeing other people's homes burned to the ground and losing crew members in the line of duty. One crew leader in Colorado told me, Mr. President, she's lost three firefighters to suicide. Another just lost a friend to cancer, likely due to smoke inhalation. Wildland firefighters are 10 to 20 times more likely to commit suicide than the average American. And they face a 43% increased risk for developing cancer. A firefighter told me, none of us wants to be a millionaire. We just want to do good work, the work that we love. These are the men and women saving lives. These are the men and women saving homes, defending the 640 million acres, thank God, of American public lands. And Congress's failure to act has forced talented firefighters to leave the profession, which is the last thing they want to do. And it's going to cost us the next generation of wildland firefighters who are needed more than ever because of climate change and what it's doing to the West and fire seasons all across this country. 
And, Mr. President, really importantly, the continuing resolution that you support and that I support, that we've passed miraculously with almost 80 votes in the Senate, showing the broad bipartisan support there is all across this country for keeping our government open. That bill will extend their pay by a couple of paychecks, and that's really important. But I'm here to say that our wildland firefighters need a permanent raise. Something we could do today is pass the Wildland Fire Firefighter Paycheck Protection Act to permanently extend the pay increase in the bipartisan infrastructure law. Believe me, that is the least we could do for these men and women. We owe our wildland firefighters so much more than just fair pay. They deserve paid leave, housing benefits, and mental health care. And that's why I've introduced Tim's Act with Congressman Neguse, also from my colleague from Colorado, which would provide all of that and ensure that every wildland firefighter makes at least $20 an hour. That doesn't seem unreasonable. <clears throat> Our bill is named for Tim Hart, a smoke jumper who lost his life after parachuting into a wildland fire in New Mexico. And Mr. President, this is a photo of Tim Hart. I've been fortunate, fortunate, more fortunate than you can imagine to meet Tim's wife, Michelle, who is upholding his legacy through her relentless support of Tim's what she calls Tim's fire family. And that's what I met the other day, was a, was a family. That's what anybody here, if you had been here in, or had been in Grand Junction, that's what you would have thought. And Michelle has been kind enough to share a bit about Tim with me. These firefighters are much more, Mr. President, than the blazes that they battle, and the least we could do is pay them a living wage. As I mentioned, there's a saying among wildland firefighters, which is, they pay us in sunsets. And I'm here today, Mr. President, to tell you that is not enough. It is not enough. And it is this country's duty to support these men and women. Our nation's duty to support these firefighters who are defending us. There's nobody else that's going to step into the breach if we lose them. And someday there'll be somebody coming to this floor, standing here from the state of Colorado or maybe the Commonwealth of Virginia, who's going to say, if only we had done it differently back then. We need to keep this government open, Mr. President, for the, the nation depends on it. We need to permanently raise wildland wildfire pay. And after we do that, I hope we'll come together, past Tim's Act, to give our wildland firefighters just a little bit of what they finally deserve. Mr. President, I yield the floor. A great speech by the senator and shout out to all the wildland firefighters in Grand Junction, Colorado, who met with the senator to speak 
and convince him to go back to Congress and make these statements. It's clear that not everybody has given up on this, forgotten about it, and it's all doom and gloom. There are representatives, a lot from Colorado, like big shout out to Nagoose and Senator Bennett for pushing this so hard because they have been and have been for a while now. They are starting to gain traction, but with the shutdown looming and all these other things, a lot of stuff gets put on the back burner and things get reshuffled and the schedules get messed up and it becomes even harder. But all the points that needed to be made were made. It's it's a compensation that is given to our wildland firefighters is not enough. It's not a fair wage. And what I've been talking about a lot and I, I write about often on the Substack is a lot of the workforce feels like they're taken advantage of. They continue to go to work because they love the job. You get to work in the wilderness. You get operational tasks and objectives that have an endpoint that you can come together with. He correctly explains your fire family, the camaraderie's there, the cohesion is built, and you build these relationships at work to the point to where you want to go to work. It's it's. It's a job that a lot of people and most of the people in it love to do. And so they do feel like they're being held hostage. And I've talked about that. Firefighter legislation gets held hostage all the time because for a couple of reasons. There's ignorance and people don't understand it, but also because they know they can. They know that the workforce, at least the entire workforce, isn't going to bail. So they know it's just something that they can perpetually keep on the back burner and use as a wedge and a bargaining chip when it comes to other legislation, such as legislation for wars or climate or the border or whatever it is, because it happens on both sides of the political spectrum. And there's folks out there, but you know, I I read a couple of the comments here and there, and I've been blamed of, <laughs> I've been blamed from both sides. I've been blamed of uh, for being a government bootlicking stooge for the left. And that I will capitulate always for the agencies and so on and so forth. And obviously those people don't listen very often and or or read what I do on the Substack. And I've had other people say, hey, you're a, you're a fascist right wing, you know, horrible person. And it's just like, what? what? Uh, my take is like at this point, I don't really trust either side because the promises have been made, but none of them have been kept. And we're to a point now to where the government is just non-functioning at this point. We're $33 trillion in debt, and quite frankly, none of that money went to wildland firefighters. Most of it went overseas, and a lot of it didn't just go to the American people. And over the course of building that $33 trillion in debt, you have had Democrat presidents and Republican presidents and Democrat Congresses and Republican Congresses. And through all of that, no wildland firefighter legislation has been significantly passed or even introduced, especially at least in the last two years. A lot of good stuff has been introduced, but not a lot of it has been, it hasn't gone anywhere. So we'll see what happens here in the next few hours and if they're actually going to shut this stuff down. But at this point, it's out of everybody's control and we'll just have to see what comes of it here. We'll move on from this topic uh, a quick update on what's going on around the country when it comes to wildfires. The brief answer is not a lot. The 
National Interagency Fire Center, also known as NIFC, put out a statement this morning being like, hey, it's so slow, we're not even going to update acreage and fires seven days a week anymore. We're going to pull back from that because of how slow it is. And they've bumped the national preparedness level down to two. It has quite literally been one of the slowest wildfire seasons in the United States in history. And I have some good friends and some other people, meteorologists and others who hit me up in messages. And they ask me because I cover cloud seeding and weather manipulation uh, on the Substack as well, other fire technology stuff. If, if you want to check that out, it's the hotshotwakeup.substack.com. Um, everything I do is supported through subscriptions to that Substack. So if you want to support what I do uh, and wildland firefighters, firefighter donations, giveaways to firefighters and others, uh, just go to the hotshotwakeup.substack.com and you can subscribe there. But I've covered this cloud seeding and things like that. And, and cloud seeding installations across the nation have been increased thousands of percent in the last year and a half. And and budgets for that type of stuff in Colorado, Utah, California, and other Western states has skyrocketed. And, you know, folks in the industry and other, they just want my opinion on it. And they're like, hey, do you think that affected um, how slow it was for a wildfire season? Because there was also a tremendous amount of precipitation across the Western United States and other parts of the United States, you know, this summer and even currently right now. My answer to that is I don't know. Like I would have to wait and see for data to come out on these systems and how often were they running and and what kind of results they got out of it. But I see how people are making those correlations because you also had record snowfall and and they already have correlated that to some of the the cloud seeding installations that were installed in both Utah and Colorado and and California. San Luis Obispo has a has a ground-based system that basically just pulls more moisture out of the air. And I, and like I said, I've covered this extensively in numerous articles on the Substack. If you want to check out more details, you can find it there. But the, the answer is I don't, I don't really know. We'll have to wait and see um, the data that comes out on these systems. But I understand why people would put, you know, one and one together and, and ask those questions. The fact does remain that it's one of the slowest fire seasons in a very, very long time, looking like since the early 90s, maybe even back into the 80s, which is significant. Like, I don't know why more people aren't talking about that. Like, if it's a bad wildfire year, it's crazy. And it's headline news all across the nation. And the, the world is ending and the sky is falling. But when it's the opposite, it's everything gets swept under the rug. I just wish it got equal coverage if we're going to cover it. The one thing that I want to touch on quickly is it does kind of hurt wildfire legislation because senators are and and representatives in the House, it's not front of mind if like communities aren't burning down and millions of acres are burning. It's they just don't think about it because there's other stuff going on. So it does hurt trying to push that stuff through. But there does seem to be plenty of funding for satellites and artificial intelligence and that's something we're going to cover here after we talk about this but roundabout way of saying it's been slow in the northwest area they're down to a pl2 as well only two new fires so incredibly limited activity at this point in time Uh, southwest team one which is a type one team took over the anvil fire in the northwest area that's the priority fire in the nation but it's 
again, I would say it's winding down. The fire managers might not actually say that the fire is winding down at this point in time, but minimal activity, they're calling it 27% contained, $31 million in cost, and there's 1,200 people on it. And then it's just a laundry list of fires that are mostly contained, costing hundreds of millions of dollars if you add them all up. Northern California has been slow. They had five new fires, but all small ones. And it's the standard list of fires that we've been talking about. It's all of these complexes up in the Klamath, the Shasta Trinity, and the Six Rivers National Forest. But a lot of those are being contained as well. Expensive fires, and they've been spending their fire budget up in Northern California Cumulatively, all of those complexes have cost over $300 million at this point, so one-third of a billion. But California itself has had a very, very slow fire season. The southern area, they had 20 new fires, but again, smaller fires a lot in Louisiana, Mississippi, these types of places. Texas had a couple, but again, they're not getting big at all. Quite, Quite small and caught early. The southwest area basically has been burning. The Cecil fire, 2,180 acres, but they're firing that off. Like, they burned over 1,300 acres to manage these fires down on the Coconino National Forest. And then the Valentine fire down in the Tonto, again, they've been burning and kind of filling in a box that was created managing this fire at over 9,200 acres. Utah is kind of doing the same thing with the box fire and others where they are putting fire on the ground to try and, you know, get good fire use out of the natural caused fires that that came out of lightning storms and such. It's also providing work and, and good work for the community, building fire breaks and resilient environments for the local animals and wildlife in the area. The Rocky Mountain area, very, very slow, but again, they had this Hope fire. It was a lightning-caused fire, but they are managing and burning that as well. I talked to a couple people that are down on that fire. The conditions weren't, like, super ideal for burning. They're saying maybe if we would have waited a week or more, we could have gotten better results, but fire management and, you know, forest supervisors, they're seeing this government shutdown come. And they've kind of forced the hand of some of the firefighters, not in a bad way, like, you're going to burn this now or else. Like, it wasn't like that. They're like, hey, let's try to fire this thing off because if the government shuts down, we're probably going to have to stop firing operations and reassess how we're going to go forward with this because we lose all sorts of suppression budgets and all sorts of other things when this happens. People are going to get furloughed. So they tried to get as much fire on the ground as they could before we run into what we're running into today. Uh, Then you look at the Northern Rockies up in Montana. You have this Lupine fire on the Lolo, and then East Fork and the River Road East fire are still on that list. They are doing a lot of prescribed burning as well. The Helena, Lewis, and Clark National Forest put a significant amount of, of fire on the ground. It looked great. The Lolo was doing that as well. The Kootenai National Forest was burning to bolster elk habitat as well. So a lot of good proactive burning and prescribed fire up in Montana and even in Idaho as well. And then Southern California, there's just nothing going on. It's it's this quarry fire that's 3,300 acres. I have no idea how it's not even 1% contained at this point in time. 
and then the Redwood Fire pushing 2,000 acres. And those two smaller fires in Southern California have cost around $1.2 million. So slow, slow season and going into what we would consider prescribed fire season, a lot of, and it's kind of an ironic thing because a lot of funding from this infrastructure bill and and what's been coming out of this administration is like, we have hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars for prescribed fire and projects and things going into the fall season, not only to keep people busy, but to start building on some of this treated acreage that we've been promised for years and years and years. But again, with the government shutdown, a lot of that comes to a standstill. And that can be extended more than the government shutdown because you have burn windows, you have prescriptions uh, out of the prescribed fire ban that took place last year after the escape prescribed fires down in New Mexico. They made a bunch of new rules and said, hey, we're going to be a little bit more strict about prescribed fire and how we go about this. And this process takes time. So if you miss your burn window and you lose prescription for these prescribed fires, especially due to a government shutdown, you might have to go back to the drawing board and do all that over again and restart these projects and figure out how you're going to get funding and resources to pull it off. And if this shutdown drags along, or if we do shut down, a lot, like I've been saying, a lot of the times they just solve this at 11.59 the night before. But a lot of this stuff will get postponed and pushed off and then snow starts falling and then you can't get that good acreage in before the snowfall. And then then next year you're left with more dead leaf litter and pine litter on the ground and dead grasses that you could have ripped off in the fall time. And now you have a larger fuel load on your ground going forward. There's a lot of aspects of the shutdown and furlough and things like that and postponing burns that a lot of folks don't think about. And it kind of just adds up, and it's this Swiss cheese model where things start to align and and you don't get the best results out of it. And it's, it's a machine. You can't just fire it right back up. So when it comes to the wildfire world, those are things to think about uh, moving forward and how this is going to affect, you know, the crew you work on, the forest you're employed on, or just the community you live in if you're, if you're not a wildland firefighter or don't work for any of the agencies. You know, a lot of these hunting grounds were going to be prepped and nice and ready by the time all these tags were flown. And and now that might not be the case and, and the forest might be closed and, and, and other things. So it's just a lot of, of things that add up over time. And we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens uh, going forward. I'll take this time to thank the Substack subscribers. Everything I do is 100% supported through monthly subscriptions on my Substack. If you want to partake in that, it's thehotshotwakeup.substack.com. Click on that subscribe button and you can join the community of the Hotshot Wake Up Substack. That, again, supports everything that I do from firefighter donations, helping their families in need, just allowing me the time to do these two podcasts a week. You get an extra podcast on Substack every week as a subscriber. And the stuff I cover on Wednesday, I don't go back over on these podcasts. So there's a lot of information that I cover on Substack. Just for those paid Substack subscribers, you get access to the archives and a lot of other things as well. So if you want to support me, I'm 100% ad-free, 100% sponsorship-free. So to support, just go to thehotshotwakeup.substack.com, click on subscribe, and I thank everyone out there who currently does. It's a small group, but I appreciate it. 
And I'm doing my best to continue to bring you the news and information and updates on everything wildfire, not only in the United States, but around the world. I have traveled this year over all the United States, through the Alleghenies, the White Mountains, and the Catskills, the Rockies and the Bitterroot Mountains, the Cascades, the Coast Range, and the Sierras. So on the second segment, there's three articles that I kind of want to tie all together. And I think they are all related when you look at the details that come out in it and how moving forward into the future, these things all link together. Now, months and months and months ago, it might even been last year, I covered this House Resolution 94 that was proposed by Congressman Tom McClintock. Now, if you're in the wildland firefighter world, you probably have heard that name before or it kind of rings a bell. And this is the congressman that said, wildland firefighting is not skilled labor and there's no reason to raise pay or anything like that. And we actually need to reduce the workforce, so on and so forth. And I know there are some people that agree with that, but the majority of people in the industry don't agree with that. But this piece of legislation that went forward and looks like it's going to get a vote now, addresses what Congressman McClintock says as irresponsible fire management, which is managing fires, letting them burn, taking a wildfire that was a lightning strike and building a box around it and coming up with some sort of operational plan to get what we would call good acres out of it and let it burn freely instead of just suppressing it super fast and putting it out as fast as you can. Now, when I spoke about this on the Substack, I referenced back to the old Forest Service policy, which is you put fires out as fast as you can. And a lot of people who have you know, been educated in how these forests have been growing and have been managed and, and what they look like over the last hundred years is that leads to a choked out forest and causes larger wildfire and more extreme fire behavior as the years and decades go by because you have this buildup of fuel in that forest bed. So he proposed this legislation, and so the first article I'm going to cover, it's from a website called My Mother Load. I know that seems silly, but it's uh, it's actually a decent publication out of California, and it says... The U.S. House Natural Resources Committee has passed legislation that would require the U.S. Forest Service to quickly put out fires in high-hazard areas rather than let them burn out naturally. In California, this is more of a big deal than in other states, but they're trying to make this a nationwide law, like a law. So you you basically have to follow this. It says Congressman Tom McClintock introduced House Resolution 94 in response to the Tamarack Fire in Alpine County. He says it was allowed to burn naturally for 12 days before it exploded out of control and scorched 70,000 acres. Now, this is a this is a real thing. Like they they kind of watched it. They monitored it and they did. They had a fire weather day, maybe a red flag and the thing blew up and it caused a lot of problems and cost a lot of money. So when it comes to this specific instance, I can see where Congressman McClintock and, you know, more importantly, his constituents in his district were upset about how this fire was 
managed and taken care of. That doesn't always happen and happens less times than not. And there is a great amount of importance to monitoring fires and letting them burn, especially if they're in non-high-risk areas. I'm sure the people who were monitoring and managing that Tamarack fire, they did not expect it to pooch out and run 70,000 acres. It continues saying, quote, It's dangerous nonsense to monitor wildfires in today's forest tinderbox, even if they seem to pose no immediate danger, says McClintock. No person in his right mind would monitor a rattlesnake curled up in his bedroom because it isn't doing much of anything. Yeah, well, the the wildfire isn't in your bedroom, and when you're in the woods and you see a rattlesnake, you actually do monitor it and you don't you don't mess around with it because it's probably not going to do anything. So really, when you take that analogy and put it into the forest where the wildfires are, um, that is actually what you would do with a rattlesnake. That being said... This congressman has constituents who are blowing up his phone being like, don't ever let this happen again. And I will also say in that statement, when he says we can't monitor fires in today's forest tinderbox was the quote, these tinderboxes are created by putting wildfires out immediately. Now, the answer to this is is more proactive burning in the shoulder seasons. But that has been made more difficult as well. And something I'm going to cover on the Substack is all of these lawsuits, and we've already talked about it on the on the podcast just this week, last Wednesday, or I should say this Wednesday on Substack, there's this group that is suing to stop beaver trapping because of wildfires. And it's it causing all sorts of problems, and it's making things like prescribed fire and other things more difficult because these things are trapped up in the courts. It happened in California, in Big Bear Valley, where they were trying to protect an eagle's nest, but they wanted to do prescribed fire, so they sued. And it just happens all over the Western United States. And really, the whole thing has just been turned into a litigation game. And, you know, these groups will find projects in, you know, beautiful areas and areas that are filled with wildlife, and they see it as an opportunity to not only slow the project down, but to make money. And you sue the government and say, you can't do this, you need public comment periods, so on and so forth. And then you just create an environment where lawyers and non-governmental organizations can raise money to fight these lawsuits. And, you know, all the while, you're not getting good fire on the ground because of all of this litigation. It continues saying the proposed legislation was discussed at a recent House Natural Resource Field hearing in Yosemite National Park. McClintock said, quote, I think we are finally developing a bipartisan consensus that our forests cannot be surrendered to policies of benign neglect, and that includes the need to extinguish small blazes before they become big ones. If prescribed burns are necessary, they should be carefully planned and not left to chance. The bill would also mandate that prescribed burns that exceed their planned boundaries be immediately extinguished and would require the approval of the incident commander before backfires can be set by the ground crews. This legislation and resolution now moves to the full U.S. House floor for consideration and then moves on to the Senate. So this thing is going to get a vote. I don't know how that vote will go. And obviously, if there's a shutdown, the vote won't happen for a while. But I want to tie this into the two other articles that I think wrap right into this. 
Because a lot of folks are like, well, how do you do that? How do you put out fires quickly? How do you stop these things small? So on and so forth, especially with a depleted workforce and in these remote areas where fires can grow very quickly, very fast. And that brings me to an article by Axios talking about this company that I wrote about. Oh, I'd say it was probably maybe this last January. I'd have to go back and look on the Substack, but I wrote about this company called Rain when I was writing about drones and AI systems coming into the wildfire world. And what they are is they're an autonomous AI helicopter suppression system for wildfires. And so they have this autonomous helicopter. It has a tank attached to it so it can deploy water. Its AI computer systems are connected to the federal and national lightning detection systems and other sorts of programs so it can map out where the lightning was. And if there is a new start, these things autonomously launch and start dumping water on these small fires immediately. So this company is probably in favor of McClintock's bill because if it passes, you have to put these things out quick. And so they're like, well, hey, that's exactly what we do as a company for our autonomous AI-powered helicopter systems. In that article, it's saying that company's moving forward. They raised about $10 million from very significant people to put this forward. This article by Katie Fehrenbacher says, Rain, a startup building aerial firefighting tech, has closed a seed round of $9.7 million led by DBL Partners. That's important because DBL Partners has invested in very, very successful and now very large and powerful companies that started very small. And now they have developed into these basically behemoths. So it matters that DBL Partners is the one that helped raise the money for these AI wildfire systems. It says the Almeida, California-based startup, which equips autonomous aircraft with firefighting capability, said they had other partnerships and investors as well. The company's list of participating angel investors in the round include Steve Blank, who co-founded Stripe, which is a massive company, John and Patrick Colson, and SpaceX executive Brian Belge. I don't really know how to pronounce your last name. I apologize. It's spelt B-J-E-L-D-E. But that's an important one because you have a SpaceX executive that's invested in this autonomous wildfire system. And with all of the satellites that SpaceX has put up, I'm sure they're going to link into that. And you become this very powerful AI computing system that is made for autonomous wildfire suppression. DBL, who ran the fundraising was the investor group behind Tesla and Solar City. So you have direct investors and basically a direct connection to Elon Musk in these new systems that are being funded and developed. The company was founded in 2019 and they are looking to deploy projects and systems that pre-position autonomous aircraft in wildfire-prone regions and leverage data collected from early fire and lightning detection systems. So you basically have autonomous robots that are going to be pre-positioned around the United States. And, and I've been saying this is coming for two years. And a lot of folks have been like, nah, it's super far behind. We'll see. We'll see if it's even doable. But you have legislation that ties into promoting what these companies are doing. They're dumping 
tens of millions of dollars into them from people who invested in Tesla, Solar City, and SpaceX, and they're moving forward with, with testing. It says that their computing technology, by harnessing faster computing chips and smarter AI algorithms, can enable the new technology for firefighting using Rain's autonomous aircraft. And this is where it links into the final article I wanted to cover on this, where it says the Biden administration and the state of California have signaled support for the new computing-enabled technology. So let's dive into that. And it moves us to a link from a statement of California Governor Gavin Newsom. And again, why does this matter? With the podcast on Wednesday from Substack, the Beaver lawsuits regarding wildfire used California wildfire policy to create that lawsuit. And that's what's going on in Oregon and Washington as well with the insurance companies and others. With the point being made on that show, it's it's clear and obvious to anybody who's in the industry, other places, including countries, not just other states, take California wildfire policy and make it their own. So it's important to watch what's happening there because that's the direction that they move a lot of this stuff. So from that rain autonomous helicopter and AI satellite tech system article, it brings us to Gavin Newsom's statement that came out this year, where Gavin Newsom says, California is deploying new tools, including AI, satellites, cameras, drones, and real-time intelligence to fight fire faster and smarter. So the whole point of these systems loops back to McClintock's bill of we need to put out fires immediately, which is basically you're regressing wildfire policy, which is how we ran into these problems in the first place. Governor Newsom said, quote, in just five years, California's wildfire response has seen a tech revolution. We're enlisting cutting edge technology in our efforts to fight these fires. We're exploring how innovation like artificial intelligence systems can help us identify threats quicker and deploy resources quicker and smarter. Can you see the roadmap that's being developed here now? from legislation to technology to implementation. It's all tied together. The governor continues saying, persistent communication and surveillance is needed. I'll repeat that. Persistent communication and surveillance is needed. The state is working with Lockheed Martin to do just that. Now, (laughs) I've had conversations about Lockheed Martin quite a bit. Again, another one of the Substack podcasts was specifically on Lockheed Martin moving into the wildfire world and the dangers of that. And there's a lot of stuff that I wasn't able to report on because it was off the record, but I've talked to a couple people in the industry who have dealt with these Department of Defense contractors and said it didn't go well. And there was a lot of fishy stuff going on, and we started to feel a little uneasy with the direction that these programs were going And it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Like, there seemed to be ulterior motives when it came to these defense contractors moving into the wildfire world. Well, the governor of California says we are in the need of persistent surveillance, and we're doing that through partnership with Lockheed Martin to explore the potential of incorporating Department of Defense-grade technology and surveillance systems into wildfire. Very important that people understand that this is coming. CAL FIRE is focusing on drone-based software, AI-enabled tools, analytics, and capabilities to provide analysis of ground and atmospheric conditions in real-time or near-real-time, as well as persistent communication capabilities to fire personnel on the ground during response. 
The state is also working with the Environmental Defense Fund on low-Earth orbit satellite technologies. We are also working with the California Guard and the Pentagon. The state trailblazed the development and implementation of satellite capabilities to detect, analyze, map new wildfire ignitions, which is just extended to support Canada's wildfire response. And again, we covered that, how... The National Interagency Fire Center partnered with the Pentagon to provide Canada with real-time wildfire analytics and data through military satellite systems orbiting above our planet. So California is doing that as well. This is the marriage of the military-industrial complex and wildfire. They're already engaged. They're probably halfway down the aisle. They haven't said, I do yet, and the rings aren't on the finger But everyone is gathered in the church waiting for them to finally get married. It's really, really close. Here comes the bride is already playing. So I think it's interesting how all of those things kind of connect together. You have California Congressman Tom McClintock saying, we need to put out fires faster and smarter, and we can't monitor these things with firefighters anymore. We need to squash them and put them out. And he put forth this... Resolution number 94 looks like it's passed the Natural Resources Committee and is going to a vote. Then you have tens of millions of dollars being raised for these autonomous AI aviation systems where the goal is to pre-position them around the nation and have them autonomously go to lightning starts and put them out immediately. And then link that to all of the new policies coming out of California and what Governor Newsom is saying, which is we need to partner with the military-industrial complex, use their AI, their satellites, their military hardware, drone systems, and link that all together for AI analytic crunching to put out wildland fires faster and, quote, smarter. This is only going to accelerate. They are likely testing these systems. I know that rain has done some tests, but nothing large scale or anything that really shows the technology can be put into the public sphere immediately. But with the new funds, they are absolutely going to be moving forward with that kind of stuff. We'll have to watch that legislation moving forward. If that is passed, that becomes law and you're probably, here's where it comes even more full circle. You're probably going to see these wildland fire risk maps come back into play in this realm as well. Because in the law, it says you have to put out wildfires in high-risk areas immediately. So how do you determine that? Well, if you remember, and again, I've, <laughs> for over a year and a half, I've written about this on the Substack, If you want to check it out, it's the hotshotwakeup.substack.com. You can just click on subscribe and that supports everything. But I've written there for well over a year that these wildfire risk maps, which were mandated by the executive branch of the United States of America for these types of purposes, basically for how to disperse funds when it comes to wildfire funding, they're going to use those things to determine the high-risk areas. And then it goes back to the conversation of, are these things accurate? And, and a lot of folks will argue, no, they're horrifically inaccurate. And they're causing a lot of problems. And we already know, again, from the Substack Wednesday podcast, they're 
using these maps already how they said they weren't going to, which is to determine insurance rates, and they're jacking people's insurance up 200-plus percent because of these maps. And it's being implemented in California. In Washington, they're having a huge problem with it, and there's currently lawsuits in Oregon over it. So there's a lot of stuff that I cover where people are like, why did you cover that? Or why did you find that interesting? It's because we get to this point where all of these things interconnect and they all start to show the roadmap of how private industry, the military-industrial complex, the government, these agencies, governors, all of this legislation and development of technology is interlinked. And sometimes it takes a couple months or maybe even a year to see all of those connections and where the funding goes and who's behind it. And there's a big SpaceX, Tesla push and things like that and other, other companies as well. And these partnerships that have built and developed long-lasting, very resilient companies, they're putting their money into this as well. So you just can't ignore that kind of thing when it pops up. So we'll see if this sort of legislation passes, which what will blow my mind is if this legislation passes, this Resolution 94 to put out fires immediately, if that passes and the Wildland Firefighter Paycheck Protection Act doesn't pass or the Tim Hart Act doesn't pass, because then it really shows that the priorities are upside down and screwed backwards if that's the way all this goes down. But we'll have to see. There's probably going to be a massive delay on any of this because looking at the clock, we have about 11 and a half hours for them to figure out if there's going to be a shutdown or not. Again, thank you to all the paid Substack subscribers. If you want to participate, it's the hotshotwakeup.substack.com. 100% ad-free, sponsorship-free, and 100% community supported in everything that I do. Thank you. And if you want to participate in that, please consider it because none of this would happen without those supporters. On that note, stay tuned for next week on the Substack. We're going to have a conversation with some folks about retransitioning back into the off-season and exiting the fire season and what that looks like going forward and steps that can be taken to ensure a positive outcome with all of that. Part of it is staying in touch with folks from the fire season and people that you love. So on that note, reach out to homies that you haven't talked to in a while, see how they're doing. Get outside, exercise, stretch, get that fresh air, eat those quality calories, get the rest you need because that's how you recover. But when you get up, you got to get it done. Uh. Uh. Uh.